Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is Barack Lurie, and this is the Barack Lurie Podcast. With me always is my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you know, today we're going to be talking a lot about the European migration crisis, or as my friend Ari David likes to call it, invasion. Um, and I understand that. It's, it makes a lot of sense. There, there are so many interesting aspects about this, and I guess we'll take the, the first things first. The... The, the, the thing that we talked about this before, Ari, where we were just flummoxed, flummoxed, I tell you, about Angela Merkel's seemingly unilateral decision to allow 800,000, uh, read, 1 million people come into Europe or into, into Germany uh, by the end of this year, 2015. And what prompted all this? A picture of a little boy. It was very tragic, of course, uh, on a beach. And uh, approximately, approximately three years old, and it truly is devastating as such. But Angela Merkel looked at that photo and just our heart broke. And let's let's open up our borders to 800,000 people. I don't know why I said 800,000. It's the first number that came to my heart. Now, how do I how do I suspect that that's what how it happened? Because it happened so quickly. That's why there was no rhyme or reason to the number 800,000. Uh, 800,000. There was no logic whatsoever to, to uh, when this should happen. But, but the question was why? Why did she do it so quickly? There was no parliamentary vote on the subject, and, the, the, and there was no referendum among the Germans to say, hey, yeah, we, we'd like to open up our borders, you know, yay or nay. And, that's, and we called it the audacity of her decision, right? I mean, to, to think that you could speak on behalf of all Germans, and I'm going to change your entire lives, you know, maybe. Uh, by by admitting about a million more people that are not at all like you, don't have an understanding of, of uh, German whatsoever or German culture, and uh, frankly, um, we don't know what they uh, what they bring with them in terms of their hatred toward the West and hatred toward Jews, hatred toward Christians. But by all means, let's open up these doors. And we and furthermore, we won't vet them whatsoever in terms of making sure that they're not criminals. You know, never mind that they come from Syria, where ISIS is a plenty. You know, but but let's just bring them in anyway. So I, I really, I'm just too fascinated by the, the the lack of consequential thinking. Did did she ever think to herself for a moment, 
I wonder if this will have an impact on, say, anti-Semitism. Will that increase anti-Semitism or decrease anti-Semitism? Now, you may think, oh, well, you know, Barack, you're Jewish. That's your, that's your thing. But okay, fine. Uh, did you think about whether or not this is going to affect uh, Christianity and the, the level of Christianity there? Oh, do you think it's going to increase or decrease the hatred toward Christianity? You, you, oh, you didn't answer that. Oh, you, you don't have an answer for that. I, I get that. How about this? Do you think it's going to increase crime or decrease crime? Because, you know, you've got a whole bunch of problems in Germany, as it is before the migration of these new people coming in. So you've got rapes, you've got murders, you've got fires and arsons. What, what, is that going to be improved by the increase of about a million more people just like them? Or, or is it going to be um, made worse? Tell me which one. Okay. And by the way, these, peoples, these people are not necessarily all from the same group of people. It's not as if they're all going to unify. A lot of them hate each other as well. There's going to be a lot of animosity among them. But tell me, also, is there going to be more radical Muslim activity or less radical Muslim activity? Now, look, all these are rhetorical questions. But, but here's the big question. Is this going to promote people who are natural Germans in Germany from leaving the country? Or will it encourage them to stay? Okay. I don't think Merkel or anybody who advanced this position thought about this for a second. Not for a second. And, and the audacity to think that is what, what totally floors me. Now, uh, you know, we, we talk about the slow burn of, of Europe. We talk about how Europe is slowly going down the, the drain hole, as it were. And what's, what it's going to look like 15 years from now, we talked about how, for example, Notre Dame, we believe, will be a, a mosque. I think it'll be even less time than that, but we're being uh, pretty generous in our estimate here. But might it be, Ari, that it'll be even faster than that? Not just Notre Dame going, becoming a mosque, but the utter collapse of Europe. Because it's going to happen. We, we, we both agree with that, right? And, and some may say it's already happened in a sense. But you talk to Germans and, you know, and, and French people. They love their French baguettes and such. They, they're oblivious to what's going on. But the real day where you know, they, they're suddenly realizing that they're, that they're in the minority, that they're surrounded by Muslim calls for prayer five times a day, that there is there's there's serious discussion about Sharia law, if not Sharia law, actually in place. Um, how quickly will that happen? Will it be next week? Probably not. Will it be next year? Probably not. But it wouldn't surprise me. Five years, much more likely. Ten years, almost for a certainty. In fifteen years, you can start making really good bets. It's going to be a serious, serious play, especially because the Germans and, for that matter, the Europeans are not making babies, right? And the Muslim immigrants are. Okay, so you just have to do the math on that. And then to accelerate that, that situation, the native Europeans are leaving in droves. So that's a problem. And if you, if you don't like that, then I suppose, uh, you know, you don't have to like it. But... I'll tell you, if you were living in Germany, in France or England, uh, Holland, I, I think that the 
the pull to leave would, gets just stronger and stronger every day. You know, it's it. Uh, there's a couple songs that come to mind, but basically the the pressure is so intense that you feel okay. Well, it's not getting any better. Is the song that comes to mind the answer marching two by two? Hurrah, hurrah. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Because yeah. I think what's happening now, and it's kind of an overlooked thing, is Western Europe has pretty much been done on this stuff yeah. from the previous immigration and, and settling of that immigrant population. But now Eastern Europe is being invaded by yeah. this. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, this, is, this is a country, this is a continent that has no purpose, that has no sense of, of who it is, what it is, doesn't know why it's preserving anything. Um, it's just, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like a museum. It's one big museum. But it's it's a museum of of things that they don't even know who the artists are and why there's any beauty to it whatsoever. It's like a you know it's like a child. I took recently one of my children to to Paris, for example, and from her perspective, she didn't she doesn't know anything about the the fine architecture that's involved or the art that she's looking at. She just looks at it kind of generally and just say these are nice buildings, this kind of feels cool, but she has no idea what went into it, right? And I think that's what Europe is, generally speaking, to the Europeans of today. They have no reason, they have no idea of, of how it came to be the structured, civilized society that they now enjoy, right? Despite all the World War I and World War II and all the wars that preceded those wars, nevertheless, that the stability that was ultimately achieved, they, they just forgot about that altogether. And and they don't know why they're, they're even preserving these buildings. What, what's the difference between this building and that artwork? It, it, it's just they don't even know who they are. All they know is that they're really bad people because of what happened in World War II and World War I, I suppose. So now, well, in come these people who have all sorts of purpose in their lives. I mean, it's, it's reckless, hor- horrific purpose, but nevertheless, it's purpose. And... and they come in, and all you see is, you know, it's, it's like in the same way that, that Americans came and saw North America, they, they saw empty land, right? From their perspective, it was empty land. Yeah, sure, there are some Native Americans here and there, but, you know, by golly, it's empty, right? It's, it was theirs for the taking. They never, you know, put aside all the garbage about, oh, the white man slaughtered the Native Americans— you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. It, there were so few Native Americans uh, in, in, in North America at the time. You can't say that it was inhabited in a, in a structured sort of way. No. Centuries before, the Native Americans had slaughtered the Native Americans. With the, with the, Europe, with the white European colonialists found were the remnants of ancient civilizations. Exactly. Yeah. No, but, but basically, more or less, it was barren land, right? right. If, you, if you were to look at, uh, I don't know. Uh, the valley, you know, here in Los Angeles. And it was just as it once was, which is all land, okay? But you see one person, you know, and, and all these hills that surround him and everything, but there's one person you see in the, in the hills. You wouldn't say, oh, well, this place is occupied. Guess I better be mosey and get, go back to my home. Yeah. No, you, you'd say, okay, well, no, this is pretty empty, <laughs> right? That's the way you would look at North America if, if you were an American or, for that matter, a European settler at the time. It, it was empty. Okay, there was a lot of raw, resor- raw resources to, to, to take advantage of and to exploit and uh, to colonize. 
Okay, and there was nothing wrong from it from their point of view. Yeah, there were some some fights and, and conflicts with the Native Americans, but um, some you know some of the bad stuff came from their end, the, the Native Americans, and some from the European. But by and large, there was an effort to try to get uh, things uh, going in peace. And um, at the end of the day, America became America. It was it was a, a an inevitable end to what we see today, right? Now, the same thing is true when it comes to Europe, and that's the reason why I bring it up. From the, from the Muslim radical point of view, what do they see? They see a continent full of aimless people. Spiritually empty. That's exactly right. Spiritually empty, have no sense of purpose, don't know who they are. And, and, and these radical Muslims say, you know what? We know who we are. We need some space. We need some, uh, some self-identity and such. We're just going to take this over, and, and we're going to start making demands because, you know what, there's nobody resisting us. And there really is no, nobody resisting them. There, there's this or that group in Germany and France. There are independent people who are anti-immigration parties and such like that. Uh, but for, for all intents and purposes, as, as you say so often, they're very supine. And, and the anti-immigration groups, the nativists in Europe, face stronger opposition from other native Europeans for their... Uh, pleased to protect the continent and its people. Yeah, uh, the the battle doesn't even get to the point where it's them against the invading Muslims. Right. Well, you see, for the, the the from the radical Muslim coming into Europe at this point, they see Europe like the Wild West. Yeah, right for the taking. They're right for just the taking. Open. They just and and they 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 do take, and I take I, I mean that in the most literal sense. They they exploit. Um, Every opportunity that they can, they take over uh, these different areas. They, there's a lot of raping going on. There's yeah, a lot of sex slaves women. going on. And, and especially, of course, among the weak uh, of those, those who are the runaway girls, for example. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so much like what you see in those, uh, the, the, uh, those national kingdom, oh, sorry, what am I saying, natural animal kingdom sort of TV shows where you see these wolves descending upon the sheep. And they always the, the wolves are smart. They don't they don't go after some of the stronger ones. They they wait to see the stragglers, the ones who are younger, weaker, maybe sick, and or who get lost. And that's who they go after. And the same thing is true now with the radical Muslims who come into Europe and they they see these lost and forlorn lorn people and they exploit them and and terrible things happen as a result. This is what's going on in Europe, and it's right for the plucking. And yes, even though there are people there, guess what? They're willing to give it all away. And they're giving their whole system away. And not only that, but, but unlike the situation of the Native, the Native Americans, to, to make it more complete, the, the analogy, it would be as if the Americans came to, to, uh, to America, or the, the Europeans came to what is now America, and the Native Americans not only didn't give them much resistance, but the Native Americans just gave them all their food at the same time. That's what that's what it would be like. Yeah, because you didn't you left it out in your your opening on this is not only is Angela Merkel inviting these people in, she's giving them full benefits. For all we know, they're going to get full voting rights. Oh yeah, they're getting they're being escorted right into controlling the entire society. It's an invasion. It's an invasion without resistance. Uh, an invasion. On steroids, as it were, because just like you said, if once you get voting rights, that's, that's the end of the day. That's it, and they will get voting rights. Of course, they will. 
because that's the way Europe thinks about itself. It, it, you know, as we talked about um, in the podcast prior, that you know, tomorrow won't always be right. We said, and socialism refuses to see what the present is, what the present is, and for, and more importantly, what the future will be. Yeah, and they I, just they don't get that. And I wrote down a term, and maybe this will wind up being the title of this episode. But what we're seeing here, it fits another aspect of leftist behavior. I would call this redistributed colonialism. Hmm. Because it, just like redistributing resources, um, redistributive economics, redistributive, uh, you know, the argument for, um, uh, uh, you know, reparations for slavery. It's just another version of, and I'm sorry, here, why don't you do it to us too, based on our past mistakes and excesses against your cultures, as if the Europeans did anything terrible to the Middle Eastern cultures over the centuries. It really, you know, war is war yeah. in, in ancient times. No, it's, it's not it's, like any of these modern uh, yeah. Middle Easterners suffered at the hand of the Europeans, other than receiving UN benefits for them for the last 30 no, years. No, it's, it's, it's all the way that they uh, want to portray it and the way they want to believe it. And, and more, more importantly, it's the way we... Uh, as Europeans, as Americans, how we perceive ourselves. If we consistently perceive ourselves as marauders and invaders and exploiters and rapists and such, well, then guess what? You know, somebody is more than happy to to help you perceive yourself that way. You know, if, if you're if you're a Muslim, a radical Muslim in particular, and and everyone's saying to you, "We're so sorry for the way we've treated you." You know, what with those crusades in the old days, uh, really so sorry about that. You know, of course they're going to exploit that and say, yeah, yeah, you guys were bad, and, and the time has come for us to get what is, what is our due. And you, go, you guys should really give us uh, all your uh, goodies that you offer in your social system, and you should give us our voting rights as well. And so, uh, of course, they'll exploit that. Yeah, and, and they are exploiting it. That's what they're doing, and that's what they will continue, continue to do. And the, and the worst part of it is that the, the greater they are in numbers, uh, the more demanding they will become because that's just the way it works. Um, they become a voting block and then they become a reality uh, that will soon impose its will upon everyone else. Yeah, and after they get all these things, then they can say, and after we get all these things, maybe we'll forgive you. That's right. That's right. It, maybe, well, they'll, they'll never, we know we know they never stop bearing a grudge. It'll never be forgiven. Even if, if uh, Europe is 95% Muslim and only 5% Christian, let's say, and I, I, I use that word loosely because there is no there is no Christianity left in Europe anyway. So we'll just say non-Muslim for the time being. Um, that won't be enough. It, it, it will that that monster will keep on proceeding forth, and and, and and there's no whatever fanciful land you must live in to believe that uh, radical Islam uh, somehow has an ending point. Um, you know, I, I fear for you. I feel sorry for you. Because you must understand that it's like fire. Fire doesn't stop. It, it you know, so long as there's wood to burn, it, it'll consume the wood until everything's destroyed. And what you just said is not speculation. There is a place in the world that proves what you just said. It's called the Middle East. You have tiny Israel of what 12 to 18 million people, and you have it surrounded by 1.2 billion Muslims yeah. in a in a in a aggregate block of Muslim-majority countries, and that tiny little country with that 
so just a few million people is more than enough of a pebble in their sandal to agitate them on end. Right, and not only that, but Israel has none of the natural resources uh, that the Arab countries that surround it uh, have. And, and, and think of it also from a geographical point of view. It doesn't have the ability to kind of take advantage of the economies of scale that a bigger country has, right? And yet Israel somehow manages to be this incredibly dominant and creative and innovative force, not only in the region, but in the entire world. So, yeah, your, your point is an excellent one. Look, I, and, I, and that point is that they will not tolerate those five percent remaining non-Muslims. Yeah, yeah. Don't after think for a moment. Conquest. Yeah, don't think for a moment. I mean, even when, even when uh, we left uh, Israel, left Gaza, when it left southern Lebanon, when it released four hundred uh, uh, Palestinian prisoners, you you would think that each time that, that Israel would get some sort of great credit for it, but of course it never did. Instead, you know, when the Gaza wars happened, as they now happen, I think there have been three of them um, since the pullout of. Uh, from from Gaza, you know, no one stops to say, you know, but don't forget, you know, Israel unilaterally pulled out of Gaza, and, and should we be giving them a lot of credit for that? No one says that. Yeah, there's right? never a thank you. There's no. never an I appreciate it. There's never an attaboy or a jolly old chat. <laughs> an attaboy coming. It's it's always about now proportional uh, fighting, and you know, how could you hit that hospital? And you know, there, I saw a little child die, and and it, this is this is the way it is, and it, and it, it'll always be that way. And they will not be satisfied until they completely destroy Israel, and for that matter, until they destroy Europe. Don't think for a moment that it's going to end with Israel, Israel's utter destruction. Europe, you are, your days are numbered. Now, you know, I, there's an interesting related story to all this that uh, you brought up the, uh, just a little while ago, Ari, which is that Europe is now, uh, there are a lot of groups now uh, clamoring for guns. And I understand. I understand why. Here's a continent that is so gun-fearing, uh, with the exception of Switzerland. Gun-phobic. Fun, irrationally yeah. fearing. Uh, with the exception of, of Switzerland, which you know has its own history, I suppose. But, but Germany and France and such like that, they, they just they stand still when it comes to these, these people. And talk about ripe for the picking. If you, if you have a gun and you're a radical Muslim and you think that God wants you to destroy everyone that's not just like you, how easy is this? Charlie Hebdo. Yeah. We saw it. That's we right. all saw it on TV. Yeah. The, the Hebdo attacks uh, are really quite extraordinary. Now, fortunately, they, they, I think they caught all the, the main guys, didn't they? Pretty much. Yeah. But only after the police showed up. Right. Ten minutes after that's everyone right. was dead. Oh, so much could have been done uh, had they just stopped. Even the knifing attacks in, are not happening in Jerusalem. You know, the, the Israelis all have guns. and Well, now they have. They've yeah. relaxed their restrictions, and it's putting, it's slowing down and, and stopping the knife right. crime spree. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's just, and, and it's so funny. It's, it's just like any of the arguments we make against the left when we say, no, you don't understand. We don't like the idea of armed people any more than you do. Leftists, but this works. Yeah, being armed protects you from the element of people that wish to kill you. It's obvious. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't stop every crime. Yeah, we know it doesn't stop every crime, but it slows them down. It makes the criminal think twice, and sometimes it does stop it. Right. You know, but, but let's not get into arms control at this point. <clears throat> Gun control, uh, which we certainly, of course, both agree about, and. And, and it's interesting that Europe is now getting into the position where it realizes, hey, gosh, maybe we ought to arm ourselves um, because bad things are, are beginning to happen. And, and it's a terrifying world to live in. Uh, they, 
you know, they, they used to look at us and, and talk and saw the L.A. riots. I mean, I remember in 1992, a couple of my friends, you know, saw, oh, my gosh, the L.A. riots. Wow, that's really bad stuff. And, you know, in Europe, it's now the L.A. riots seem like, a, you know, like a child's play. Everyday occurrence. A couple of uh, a couple of bullies in the playground. That's what it looks like, the L.A. riots, compared to what, what is now going on in, in France and, and otherwise. Burned cars, no-go zones. This is a terrifying place to live. Now, the, the, the battleground, of course, is in certain zones, and certain areas are much safer than others in Paris and London and, and otherwise. But slowly but surely, those safe zones will get smaller and smaller in terms of its concentric circles, right? They'll, get, they'll diminish to the point that they're really small pockets. And what do you do then? You know, you, you suddenly realize that you're completely surrounded by the zombies, as it were, right? What do you do? I, I think it's it's the end of the world, so to speak. I, I'm, I, um, I I see this acceleration happening quicker than most people do, and I think it's kind of like you know that you know when you when you are uh, when when the bath is draining. Have you noticed that the water seems to go faster, <laughs> drains down faster when it's on its very end, or that that fire seems to consume a little bit faster once it you know once it's already in the middle of, of consuming it's very very fast all of a sudden and so many other metaphors that i could use to to explain this but the speed seems to accelerate toward the end and and so it is it's like a sinking ship right you you know if, if you're on the titanic or any sinking ship uh you know you realize after a while hey you know what there's some water that's leaking in there i wonder if that's a problem and then you you know you who may know that there is some engineering problems as a result of, of this hole in the ship, you'd say, I know something that you guys don't know. I'm out of here. And you jump the ship, right? And then somebody sees you jumping the ship. Uh, well, Bob seems like a smart guy. I'm going to jump the ship too. And then as a, a ship actually starts sinking, you get this flood of people who are jumping off the ship, right? That's what it's going to be like. That's, a, that's maybe the perfect metaphor. Because why would you stay there? I mean, let's go to the extreme. Let's assume you're the last non-Muslim person, you know, native European to stay there. And, and who are you going to be doing business with? Who, who, who are you going to be sharing baguettes with? Looks like you'll be converting to uh, flatbread yeah. and pita. Right. So, so it's an obvious thing that you have to get yourself out of there, too. The same, of course, would apply with the last five people there, the last ten people there, the last hundred people there. It, it, it's going to be this way. And... It, and and it's going to be faster than you think because when people are beginning to look over their shoulder and say, this is a problem, I'm out of here, I'm going to America, I'm going to Australia, I'm going to Israel, I'm going to South Africa, I'm going anywhere but Europe. We're done. That's what I'm, that's what I'm concerned about. And it's going to be really, really fast. You know it's bad when people will start looking at China as a place to live a free and liberated life. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe Japan, because in Japan, they don't allow any Muslims at all. <laughs> right or wrong, they don't allow any Muslims. You, you, if you go to Japan and, and you're not a Muslim, you're safe from any radical Muslims because they won't allow anybody in there. What a world we live in, Ari. I, I, and, and what bothers me the most about this, and I know that I'm speaking for you as well, is the utter lack of awareness of Native Europeans themselves about what's going on. You and I can see it. You know, we, we can see, it's like, it's like watching a movie and you know that, that uh, monstrous man with the big hook 
you know, he's coming into the living room, and and the the little kids are are just playing, you know, Scrabble or whatever, and and, and this monster's coming with a big hook, and you know the bad scene that's going to happen. We see it, and they don't. Yeah, and even more infuriating is that Americans uh, in huge numbers don't see this. I don't. I, in a way, I don't blame Europe. They've been indoctrinated. They've had sort of granular flaws within the the kernel of their societies that led them to inevitably to this point. Because right. they don't have a Second Amendment there. They don't have a First Amendment. They had all sorts of other kind of quirks of their culture post World War One, World War Two right. that led them to this point. But we don't here. Yeah. But we let ourselves be Europeanized in so many aspects of our culture that especially in a place like Los Angeles where you and I live, we get sort of a skewed view uh, apart from the rest of America, which is less this way, of people who are just sitting ducks, yeah. ripe for conquest. Big, strong guys walking around, crop pants and uh, you know, open-toe sandals who, who are gentle and would never even hurt a fly. And you go, you know what? I love the fact that you love your fellow human being. But dude, when push comes to shove, you're conquered. Yeah, you gotta. You, you have gotta fight no for way you. of defending yeah. yourself or your family. We we just have to constantly fight. That's that's the bottom line. Is that we get the, into this complacent mode, and we just forget why we fought in the first place and why we have the goodies that we have today and and all the freedoms that we enjoy. We just utterly forget that. Yeah, and and then the party that forgets it the most, of course, is the Democratic Party. Just take a look at the most recent uh, debate among the Democrats. There was not me- one mention of ISIS or radical Islam. To them, this doesn't even exist. It, it doesn't exist. Exactly right. They, they're much more focused on climate change, and it's a great way to numb their brains about it. And, and, and worse than that, there's this love affair with socialism, which, of course, just breeds the desire for uh, – it so, so just it basically opens the door for radical Islam to come in and take over because, as we talked about before, socialism breeds a, a numbing of the mind such that – no one wants to recognize that things are changing because, you know, after all, in socialism, socialism is, when you think about it, it's just a bunch of promises. It's the promise that you'll always have a secure job. It's a promise that you'll have a pension forever. It's, it's a promise that you'll, your kids will have free education and, and, and free medical care and free everything, this and that. But, but you, can't, you can't recognize the problem of radical Islam and then at the same time, Ignore that this is going to change this. Yeah, it breeds complacency, the complacency that shocks us. And uh, to the Democrat debate, not to get into the weeds on it, the one time they came tangentially in the area of mentioning these issues, the response was, I don't want to hear about her damn emails. Yeah. Yeah, but those emails are about this issue. That's right. It and, is. and how hilarious are those of us who talk about this, who talk about this because we want peace and realize to achieve peace and civility, we must be responsible for our own safety. We're called the warmongers for daring to sound the clarion call in our words, warning about real warmongers. Yeah, yeah. Look, <clears throat> when people and when we people talk about extreme conservatives or the the Tea Party and such like that, they they may, they say it with such mocking gestures. The reality is that what you consider to be the extreme conservatives, we are we are people that believe in the Constitution as it was, the values that there were in, in the old days. And no, not about slavery. We already talked about that. That's a, that's a big bugaboo that just is a false argument. But, but the basics of, of conservatism, limited government, uh, that everyone has the right to bear and keep their arms, that, that we have a right to free speech, that, that 
that God is is the one that gives us our values. These these are extreme conservative values. Of course they're not. Of course not. And, Sounds and, like pretty benign values to me. I, I I should think so too. And these are at the same time they you know when they ostensibly when they teach this in school, they 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 teach about the great glory of the founding fathers and how how they advanced these great positions. But they're not teaching that, I suppose, anymore. But in the old days, that's the way they used to teach it. And apparently we were learning extreme conservative thought, don't you know? But this, but, but for the extreme conservative thought, Ari, there would be no America that we now love and enjoy so much. There would be no democracy throughout Europe that they appreciate so much. It's because of those, quote unquote, extreme conservative values that we are where we are today and that we enjoy the benefits of where we are today. Listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm concerned. We, just a, a little while ago, I spoke to a couple of uh, liberal friends and very nice people, the co-workers in the office, and they were talking about how they're Democrats and how they prefer uh, Bernie Sanders uh, over even Hillary Clinton. And I said, you know, well, you know I, I respect him only in the sense that at least he admits he's a socialist. And he goes, well, yeah, I think we need to be socialist. And I said, you know, just out of curiosity, where has socialism ever worked in the, in the past? And then he, he, you know, he's a young, guy, a young guy, and he says to me, well, you know, France is socialist. You know, you know England is, is pretty much socialist, and Germany is socialist. And I said, and your point is that that's a good thing? You, you, you look fondly upon Germany and France and England? And, they say, and, and he said, yes, yes, I do. And I said, have you been to France or Germany or England? No, but, but I have friends who, who talk about the free medical care and such like that. And I said, you, you've never been there. I have. I've lived there. I lived in Germany in particular. And my friend, you don't know what so- socialism brings. It's a horrible way to live. And it's a, what's the word? It's an alienating way to live. It's, um, it, it's, an, it's a form of living where your very identity is wiped away. And that doesn't work. And, but you know what it does work very well for? Radical Muslims who come in and who want to exploit the situation. And that's where things are ripe for the plucking. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Why can't they say what they want? Why can't they just say what they need? Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note, and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer.
Hi, this is Brock Lurie, and thanks for checking back with us. All right, as we were talking about uh, before, we, we, have, we have the concerns about the immigration crisis uh, and all its consequences, right? And consequences is something that I think is a theme that we uh, really focus on on this podcast. Isn't that fair to say, Ari? I, From chess to uh, strategy to foreign policy decisions, it's all about the consequences right. of either actions or inactions. And then that's, that's exactly so. I, I would be so honored if somebody could summarize what we do on this podcast is to say, Barack and Ari, we think about consequences. That's it. And, and what this means and why, for example, why people can't see as plain this day as we can as in terms of the Islamification of Europe, just as an example. Why, we, why they can't see as plain as day what will happen if you raise the minimum wage, right? What will happen if we leave the, door, the border open uh, to illegal immigration? These are the consequences, and we like to discuss that. And, and once you even enter that mind frame, well... You become a conservative. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really that it's simple. That simple. <laughs> right. Because if you only, the first question you should always be asking is, what are the consequences of this great new idea? And, and I, put, I put capitalized right. on great new idea. Okay. G-N-N-N-I. You know, take that as, as uh, X in algebra, right? <laughs> what are the consequences? And then you'll see, gosh, I, I, I guess I, I should really rethink this. Yeah, and if consequences is too big a word, we can rephrase <laughs> it as, what will happen next if I do this? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Stuff going to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, let's not be too pedantic and too patronizing. Because <laughs> uh, don't forget, they think that we're the dummies, right? You know? Yes. Because, you know, they're all so bright in the universities. But uh, it's just so frustrating. It, it's really amazing um, to see... That phrase, I think it was George Orwell who said it. Uh, some ideas are so stupid that only an intellectual could believe them. And he is so right. If, if to, to believe that men and women are the same, that there won't be any consequences in trying to teach them the same way, that there won't be any consequences if you uh, tell everyone that the, the world is warming and such like that, and that, it's, uh, that it won't be devastating to the economy, that there won't be any consequences to raising the minimum wage or opening up the, the border or letting uh, a bunch of, uh, a million um, Syrian refugees come or migrants or whatever. The, the Savages. <laughs> uh, or, or, or that there won't be any consequences to pulling every single man out of Iraq, right? I mean, this, only a... A professor could think this way, right? And, and, and to their, in their defense, as it were, it's because they have no real-world experience. They have no idea what's going on. And it's not, you know, Des Prager says, he characterizes it somewhat correctly, I think, that what he says that they think we're evil and we think that they're naive. I, I think naive is too... It's too nice. It's, it's, it's not. It's not too. Well, yeah, it's too nice. Probably. It's. Uh, it's just that they're mis. That they are. Um, they, they. They. They're just. Um, they put their blinders on. They. They decide not. They're ignorant. That's even better. Naive and ignorant. There's. There's a difference, right? They are simply ignorant of reality. And uh, that you can say that's the same thing as naive, but it's not. They. They. Ignorant means that you just decide not to even look at it. Naive suggests that you're young and that you're not dealing with the realities of the world. That gives them an opening to say, well, maybe we should be 
idealistic. And maybe we will get toward that wonderful vision one day, to the utopian vision. And I don't want to give them that option, because I, I, so that's why I don't think it's realistic. I, I think that they are truly ignorant, and they willingly blind themselves. Yeah, here's, here's a very basic way of defining it. Naive is, you didn't know the nice guy walking up to you on the street who asked you for money was going to mug you. Right. Ignorant is that you think there are no criminals in the world. Very well said. I think that's a good, that's a very good uh, uh, differential that you just made there. Very good. All right, let's talk about uh, one of the other areas, and that's what I was leading up to, is about environmentalism. And it's such a classic area of the divide between liberals and conservatives. If I could, there are many ways of, of summarizing it. I'm, I'm sure this is not complete, but one of the one of the ways you could summarize the, the the difference in positions between the conservatives on the one hand and the liberals on the other is that conservatives believe that the environment is something that we need to conquer, uh, not conquer it like like as you know with swords and such. Like with, yeah, that we need to tame it. That's good, uh, and and we need to exploit to our advantage. How about that? Um, manipulate it even, uh, and that's the reality. Um, you just put down a, a plastic bottle, right? And, uh, well, that's the result of manipulation of nature, isn't it? Right? And it's very convenient. And I took water from a place it wasn't, or it was, and brought it to a place it wasn't for me to drink. That's right. And all this was about the taming of nature. And you don't have to like it. And in fact, in fact, a lot of these bottles say, you know, have natural and pure uh, logos to them. And, and they call pure water with a, with a little umlaut over the, the U <laughs> instead of it, right? And, and this, is, this is how they do it. So simple water, right? And you're, yeah, the bottle that you're pointing to me right now says natural artesian water. Okay, so they want you to, it evokes the, the natural part of it. And they're smart. It's a marketing gimmick. I get that. But the reality, it, re, it reflects the taming of nature. We are in a building right now that is air-conditioned. Guess what? That's the taming of nature. Uh, we, we have artificial lighting. Well, that's because we, don't, we, we need light uh, when the sun goes down. That's, that's taming of nature. That's the reprodu reproducing nature in its own way. And the electricity that comes and flows through our day-to-day -day existence, that the fact that water flows uh, through faucets in this desert. <laughs> this is the desert. We're in Los Angeles. This is a natural desert. It's not a half desert. It's a natural desert. But we've tamed it. We've built a whole city around it. And we've mo literally moved water and mountains in order to make this a city. That's the taming of nature. And a lot of liberals live in this unnatural city. That's the way it is. Every building that we, we were in is unnatural in its own way. And the fact that you have a house, every one of us, liberal or not, they, they live in a house, often very nice houses, by the way, also air-conditioned in turn. This is, and, and then they, they project music and everything else that, that we all love so much. But there's no getting around it. Everything that you do in life is, uh, has in some way involves the taming of nature. By you yourself. Yeah, and, and you enjoy the taming of the nature. Right. And in fact, if you, I don't care how liberal you are, if you go into a house and it's really stuffy, you say, can you please turn the air conditioning on? Or as the case may be, please turn the heat on if it's really cold outside, right? That's what you do. I, I, even if you turn it down a little bit so that you 
that air conditioning is only to 74 degrees instead of 72 degrees. It doesn't matter. You're still taming nature to suit your needs. And if you're an aborigine and you use your spear gun to shoot a three-toed sloth to eat, yeah, you've tamed nature. <laughs> That's right. It's so true. You have. Yeah. We, we, are, we have impact on nature, and the only reason why we are successful uh, as a species is because we have consistently tamed nature. And it, it is in many ways a... Uh, one of the greatest distinctions between us, on the one hand, and animals, on the other hand. Okay, you, you're, I, I, you look anywhere. Uh, I have a chess set in my office. That's all the result of the taming of nature. They, they've created these chess pieces in a certain way, and and you know it's to my benefit. And presumably, a liberal playing with me would not say, "I refuse to play on this." This is this reflects a certain kind of plastics that were made that are offensive to me. Yeah, but even animals tame nature. You have a gopher, it tamed nature. You have a beaver, nature. Yeah, well, you have a bird that made a bird's nest, tame nature. Well, they would say that's part of nature itself. I'm talking about the creation of our air conditioning, refrigerators, things like this. So go go with me on this one. Okay. The, the shirt that you're wearing, you know, an animal doesn't wear a shirt, okay? It doesn't attempt to make a shirt. Good okay? point. All right. So, and it's a nice <laughs> shirt, by the way. Uh, and uh, it, it's a wonderful thing. And in fact, Part of, I mean, you ask any woman, one of the things that they like about men is when they, when a man dresses well, right? What's that song? Um, Every girl's crazy about a sharp-dressed man, right? Think about it. What, they're, what they really like about it is that he's taming his wild side. He's, he's, he's placating to the aesthetic, which women like a lot. He's women are his own nature. That's right. Women love it when men tame their own nature and that they try to act in a civilized way, including cologne, including buttoning up with a nice tie, cufflinks, a really nice watch, showers. an iron shirt, <laughs> showers. Yeah, that's hopefully foundational. <laughs> but, but it's clean shaven, right? Um, and it's, got, you know, it's clean cut, right? Yeah. There's a reason for that. Right. And, and this, and women especially, are into the taming of nature when you think about it, even more so than men. We men like we, we like the rugged thing, right? We we like to, you know, I mean, a classic, you know, the, the general um, uh, cliche about men is that we don't care about whether we're, our, our hair is combed as much, especially when we're only with other guys. Uh, we'll go we'll go camping. We'll rough it, as they say, right? Ladies, less interested in doing that, right? So, but we we cannot possibly survive. We cannot. Not only can we not survive, but we certainly cannot progress if we haven't tamed nature. So what, where am I going with all this? The liberal, the liberal mindset is we need to embrace nature. We need instead to get rid of all the things that, that we're doing. We need to undo the freeways. If, anything, if they had their druthers, they would undo the freeways, and the most they would allow for is bicycles and bike lanes. You know, thin out the roads and let the let the roads you know that that were previously roads become natural weeds and and roses if you like and and uh, but 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 even so they wouldn't like it right they would they would still want to tame it in a, in a way by making a very nice garden right but it's still taming nature you're still artificially putting in flowers and roses and other things like that this is this is a fascinating area to me and and it's a completely I've actually changed my whole mindset on this. I began to realize that, in fact, it's good to tame nature. I think God wants us to tame nature. How do I know this? Because it, it's so natural to us to tame nature. It has been this way forever. 
It's our nature to tame nature. Thank you. Oh, very well said. And and you use the example of, of creating a spear to to, to kill uh, you know either a gopher or a fish or, or what have you, uh, or for that matter to to just pluck some berries from a tall tree, right? Maybe so you use it. Get food. Yeah. Get sustenance. Right. So you you take a, a a stick. You maybe whittle it down to either make it sharp or pointy, or just to to use it so that it creates a hook to bring things down. That's taming nature, right? It's not natural for you to get that uh, high uh, bunch of grapes because, by golly, you can't really climb trees very well. But you can make that stick, right, and bring it down that way. And But the liberal would say, well, I mean, if, if you t take it to its logical extension, he would say, well, that ain't right what you're doing. You're right. not supposed to be doing that. You should only be... Uh, getting the fruit that is on your eye level or that with, within reach of your hand from the ground. Thank you very much. Otherwise, you're you're violating the very no notion of what nature wants of us. False. Yeah. Let alone the absurdity of being told not to farm or, or engage in agriculture to sustain yourself. It said forage. Yeah, that's right. You know, leaving it to chance whether you live or die. And think about this: you're talking about the the, the mating rituals of taming your own nature. This may sound crude to when first put, but you'll see the logic of this. Men have to tame their nature so that women allow men to tame their nature, and if both do those things, another generation will exist. Right. And without it, no babies for the next generation and human beings go extinct. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying, but even even so, a liberal will say you, you're running far afield of that. I, I, I don't disagree with you, Ari, but I think it's a little different from what we're saying. Because the liberal will look at that and say, no, that's, that's a natural progression. You know, men and women are supposed to be too attracted to each other and such. Uh, but but I, I hear you. And I, we're, we are talking about the taming of nature and the big picture items like the refrigerator, the microwave. The vacuum cleaner. The, va the, no. the washing machine. Right. Uh, was such a good example of how that changed everything. You, you brought up the distinction a long time ago about... Um, how or the point that the washing machine really advanced women's rights like nothing else ever in history. Right. It's all when people think of women's rights, they think about this slow, steady progression that eventually allowed women to have the right to vote, and 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 not so. It's just not so. And in fact, what was happening was that women were in no place to be uh, with any strength or bargaining power whatsoever. Why? Because they had literally no time in their lives to do anything but taking care of the kids, washing clothes, um, providing, pr food, providing food, and cleaning up the house. And that was a 24-hour-a-day job. Yeah. If, and with, and if, with the advent of the washing machine, the vacuum cleaner, and the refrigerator meant that a woman did not have to go all day to buy a fresh living animal and pluck the chicken all right. day. She'd just go to a store and buy meat and stick it in the fridge. They had no she could clean yeah. the house in 15 minutes, and she could do all the wash for the last day's clothes in an hour or two. Right. That was all as a result of taming of nature. Right? But, but you know, all they, all they care about now is the, the taming of nature, you know, forward, going forward for today. Right? It reminds me of the time I saw a development once. Um, and we, we lived in Hawaii for a short while. And we lived on a development up in one of the ridges. It was called Wailaiki Ridge, a very nice place. And, you know, a lot of homes were there. And the people at the top of the, of the ridge, uh, where we were living more or less, there was a, another phase of the development that was about to be built, uh, you know, higher up the mountain. 
And they all gathered together and they said, this is outrageous. This is a, How dare yeah, they? This is spoiling the environment. Never realizing, of course, that the same could have been argued about their... Every other phase going up <laughs> yeah. the hill. Yes. But it's so classic, isn't it? It's like yeah, they love where they are, but, but don't go any further, right? This is... This is the, the mindset of, of the liberal. And, and liberals who are listening, and I know there are a lot of you because we get a lot of, of emails, I, I know that you think this way. You think this way. You, you, you love the iPad and the iPhone, the, the electronics, all that good stuff. Yes, you do. But at the same time, you, you want to make sure that nobody gets hurt in the process of making the iPhone or the iPad, right? You, you don't want to think about it uh, because there are a lot of jobs that are, are done Overseas, and you don't like that very much. And then when it comes to any, uh, the Uber, for example, which is the latest innovation, or Airbnb, we talked about this before in the past, how that is wiping out um, the taxi industry and the hotel industry, or seriously giving those industries a run for their money. That, that suddenly you're, you'll be upset about. But don't worry, 20 years from now, when, when Uber or something similar becomes the standard, then they won't even think about that, right? Just like they don't think about the car having replaced the horse and buggy or that the refrigerator replaced the ice man or that the washing machine replaced, you know, the people who, who helped wash and did independent washing for you. Th th this is the way the liberal mindset thinks. It's always about what, what, what this phase is and, you know, how we got here is good enough. And nothing more. Thank and you very much. And it's also incredibly greedy because, like, your example about the ridge development, it's always, yeah, I got it, but I don't want anyone else to have it. Right. I got my place on the ridge, right. but how dare they? I got my iPhone or iPad, but how dare they? I, I got my uh, 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 ride-sharing usage or uh, accommodations, but how dare anyone else do it? Right. And God forbid anyone make a profit off this. Right. Yeah, it, it's, it's so greedy. It is very greedy. And, and one of the things, uh, it's an interesting thing. This is basic economics I'm about to tell you. But one of the, uh, you know, Houston is a city whose rents and whose property values have not increased cr crazily. They increased very minorly, like 2% a year, you know, something, something reasonable, more or less on pace with inflation. And, and you wonder why. Why is that so compared to, let's say, Santa Monica or West Los Angeles, generally speaking? I'll tell you why. There are two reasons. One, first of all, there's only so much land in West LA, and you can't develop land into the sea, right? Into the ocean. In, in Houston, it keeps on growing. So the demand keeps on, you know, the, the supply keeps on meeting the demand. And as a consequence, it doesn't really change the price of the housing. And, you know, one five year period, this place will be the hot spot to live in. And then another five, uh, you know, five years, you know, somewhere outside of the next concentric circle, it'll be. Another place it'll be more expensive to live in. But in Santa Monica, not so. In addition, there's so many regulations and so many moratoriums on development that it creates a false limitation, an artificial limitation on supply. And what does that result in? Increasing in the prices of all the homes that do exist there. And who benefits from, who benefits from that? The very wealthy. The very ones that you think should not be benefiting out of it are the ones benefiting out of it. The people who have enough wealth outside their property to sell their property and buy a more expensive property with the profits. Yep. It doesn't benefit those whose entire wealth is tied up in their property where they can never buy a different property right. of more expense. That's right. And the taming of nature allows us to, to, to do so many great things. It allows us the most, one of the 
most precious things you'll ever have is time. In fact, as my dad once said, your most important asset is time. And a great invention is one that saves you time. It's also money, but time. So you can think of the great inventions. Uh, we're looking at iPhones right now. We, both of us have, each of us have an iPhone. And uh, we like it very substantively because it saves us time. Um, maybe too much time in a sense. Like you can read all your emails while you're going down the elevator, right? Uh, you can text somebody that you're on your way instead of you know, going somewhere to, uh, to grab payphone. a payphone and, and trying to find, and wasting all that time. Yeah. So time is, is a critical thing. And the washing machine is a classic example of that. The refrigerator. Uh, so many inventions are all about saving time. And that in turn uh, allows us to, to do even more prog progress and such. We love innovation for that very reason. And it can only be done with the taming of nature. And, and we need to not fight nature. Uh, and, sorry, we, we need not to uh, embrace nature and to try to, to undo all the natural uh, tamings that we have done, but rather to continue taming nature. That doesn't mean we should, we should cut down all the trees. You know, that's what everyone's going to no, start saying. No, we're not saying. talking about abusing nature. We're not yeah. talking about spoiling nature for no reason. Right. Everything has a cost, and sometimes nature does suffer in right. the face of development. You know, we want to be respectful of it, and we recognize the value of nature. And those of us who like West Side property, we understand the value of a beautiful ocean for the ocean view right. Right. or the mountain view. Well, you go to Versailles, for example. If you ever go to Versailles in France, you know, you can talk... Many things may come to mind. You can talk about opulence, for example, all the wealth that the kings of France used to live in. Uh, but there are beautiful gardens there, just stunning, okay? But you would never go and say, this is a horrific abuse of nature. You would say, no, on the contrary, it's quite beautiful here. This is just, it, it, it's, it's very organized. It's beautifully kept. Obviously, some people have been manicuring this, this place and watering it and taking really good care of it. But no one would say this is abuse of nature. But it is, in a sense. I mean, it's the same thing of taming nature as it would be to, to, to uh, create an iPhone. There's, there's really no difference. But, but they like to, to make it seem... They don't ask that question. But everything that you love uh, is the result of taming of nature. Even, even a, a beautiful painting, in a sense, is the taming of nature, isn't it? You're, you're exploiting some extract from the ground to create a, a paint, and, you, and then you paint on a canvas, which in turn comes from a tree, right? I mean, everything. I have an even better one for you. Every person you love is an example of taming nature, because back before nature was tamed by medical technology, most women died in childbirth, yeah. and many children did not survive. Right. So look at the person you love or are attracted to or your own children, and thank God that medical technology tamed nature so that they are alive and got through the birth process safely. You know what? That's such a great example. The, the medical advances that we've made. Look, uh, you know, some relatives that are very close to me, near and dear to me, they've survived cancer because of medical advances. They would not have, have continued on had it been only 50 years ago. So uh, that's the taming of nature, and we need to embrace it. And, and, and now many people will say, uh, Barack and Ari are, are advocating, as if we actually said this, right? We're advocating for littering and pollution. Dirty air, right? dirty water. And, and, this, and, this, and this, this destroying all trees, like, you know, like the Lorax story, right? right. <laughs> Cut it down. And one day, oh, and, and, and we're, you know, this is the moronic thinking that they say. Like, 
I love that 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 story because I'm reading that to my kids all the time. Right. right? They like it because the cartoons are so interesting. And then one day they see the last tr- last tree being cut, the the, the truffle truffle, truffle the tree. tree, and and then the guy who was in charge of the, all this like, the oh, I didn't story. think about that. Wow, gosh, golly, as if is what I say. And I said, and, and I I turned to my kids who are now ten and seven, and I said to them, look, if you were trying to sell truffle trees or something like that that yeah, has value to you. Yeah, if you were a what would you do? Yeah, what would you do? And then they said, well, and, and you knew these were really valuable trees. What would you do? You know, and trees, of course, have seeds. What would you do? Would you just kill all the trees? No, I would plant some for the future. Yes, that's right. And in fact, I would make sure to have a whole bunch of them. But, but you see, this is liberal thinking. Liberal thinking assumes that you're just going to deplete the resources and that you yourself don't even have a, a, a motivation to make sure that there's a continuous supply. It's just, I mean, under their thinking, I will, I'll drive my car uh, to, to the point where I ran out, run out of gas, and then I figure, whoops, well, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm stuck. I'll never do this again. Oh, man. This, this, you really got to understand this, folks. The taming of nature is so important, and, and you benefit from it. As much as you like to think that you are a naturalist, you are not. You, I don't care how hippy, hip, hippy-dippy you may yeah, think you are. You're the opposite of You're the opposite, actually. yeah. If you have an iPhone, sorry, you're done, okay? If, you have, if you've had braces on your teeth, you're done, okay? If you, if you have glasses, you're done, okay? If you've ever had a haircut, you're done, all right? Don't tell me that you're a naturalist when you're not. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, but the fact is you are benefiting for the exploitation of nature. And, and I'll say the positive exploitation of nature. And you want to you see where the best exploitation of nature has occurred? Two countries. America and Israel. Okay. There are more trees now in Israel than ever were before Israel's creation. That is such an amazing point. Right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And likewise in America, yeah. same thing. We, we have far more. better, mosquito swamps or plantations? Right. And in the process, we have a lot of uh, fewer deaths as a result of uh, smallpox and this or that disease. We, we have team nature right and left, and by golly, we're very happy about that. We, and, and, and the Hoover Dam that the liberals tout as such a great result of the, the great, you know, of, of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We can discuss that in another day, I suppose. But guess what? <laughs> that's the taming of nature. Are you, are you, for real, you, you, you can't say that that's a great thing and at the same time say that you're an environmentalist. Yeah, especially when it provides all the electricity for their electric guitars. So <laughs> bands like Rage Against the Machine could scream how bad capitalism and the spoiling of nature is. Right. Right. This is, this is a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, and it really has reshaped the way I think about it. I, I now appreciate the taming of nature. It's not the destruction of nature. It's the taming of nature, using it for you. Look, think of it like, you know, in all those uh, kung fu movies and, and uh, the Tao and everything. Like what do they always say? Use your, your opponent's energy against him, right, so that he goes with his own flow and, and you accomplish what you want to accomplish, right? Same sort of thing. We want to use nature, for, you know, with its own resources for our own benefit. I mean, we, we have the science. We know how to do it. We know what an atom is now. God gave us that ability. Why would we not use that for our own advantage, right? And, and clearly, you know, if we are ever to survive as a species, 
off this planet, for example, if there's some sort of asteroid that's about to, we know that's going to destroy us in 200 years, well, guess what's going to get us off this planet? The taming of nature by getting us off of, on rockets on a massive scale to get the hell out of Dodge, right? And, if you, and, and, and that is all due to the taming of nature. You, you cannot be an environmentalist in this process. You, you, you're going to die if you're going to be an environmentalist, okay? And don't get your inoculations. Don't, don't put on the sunscreen. All right, don't put on your sunglasses. <laughs> uh, don't go into an air-conditioned building. Don't go into a swimming pool. Uh, don't wear clothes. And, and please, I want you to wear clothes. <laughs> we talked about this before. The point is you, you, you just... You have to be intellectually consistent. I embrace the taming of nature, and I, I'm very for it. And the, the worst part of it is, and what we're seeing now, is this climate change business. We are now seeing that um, if you do not believe in climate change, which is the ultimate force of uh, environmentalism, right, that, that you are to be deemed as a Holocaust denier, and some are even suggesting RICO charges against people who are against uh, climate change or deny uh, climate change. Why? Because it's so against the better betterment of humanity itself that we can't have you naysayers, you know, pulling us away from this and, and causing us to causing other people to doubt that you know to talk about free speech and everything. This is this is exactly what the First Amendment is designed to stop. This this sort of madness. But it's it. it it, in the depth of all the climate change is this notion that we shouldn't be taming nature, that in fact we should allow nature to take over us, if anything, that we should all scale back completely and carbon footprint this, right? That's the whole definition of, of climate change. That's how they go about themselves. And, and in fact, to do so, to, to, if we were to actually follow through on what the environmentalists want, we would have such not only economic ruin, but our whole civilization would collapse and to the point that we would have murder on the street, uh, law and disorder uh, to, to amounts that we would never see before. And I can, I can kind of show that through processes, but you cannot go backwards in this way. We, we've invented these things for a reason, and we need to take advantage of them as much as possible. But they will invent this, this, uh, this notion that climate change is somehow caused by man and that we are going to lead to our ruin. It's a, it's a farce. It's been found to be completely uh, faulty and manipulated. And now own, in, internal, internal um, investigations are now occurring that reveal uh, from the government itself that um, there have been... Uh, playing uh, with with the climate uh, science uh, change. Sorry, climate change, climate change science. Here's, uh, for example, from thehill.com, the title: Agency won't give GOP internal documents on climate research. Okay, and I'll quote briefly: The federal government's chief climate research agency is refusing to give House Republicans the detailed information they want on a controversial study on climate change, citing confidentiality concerns and the integrity of the scientific process, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also known as NOAA, said it won't give Representative Lamar Smith from Texas the research documents he has subpoenaed. At the center of the controversy is a study that concluded that there has been no, that there's not been a 15-year pause 
and global, global warming. Some uh, NOAA scientists contributed to the report itself. All right, uh, this is uh, fascinating stuff, of course, but it's also not surprising at all. Um, th this notion that somehow uh, computer models can, can guess everything that's gonna happen in the future. And never in the history of, uh, of, of mankind have uh, any skies falling uh, concerns ever panned out, ever. So whether that's the population uh, explosion or the AIDS crisis, and Dennis Prager lists a lot of these things. And I remember a lot of these things. Yeah, nuclear annihilation, UFOs, uh, yeah. anything. Right. It, it, just, it just doesn't happen. And it's a scare tactic designed simply to, to get us to do um, a, a lot of things to restrict our movement and to uh, force us into more of a socialist mindset. We're not going to get fooled. On the contrary, we will seek more of the taming of nature because you know what? That is what is going to lead us to our salvation, to our progress, and to the betterment of humanity. This is Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week.